You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The following episode contains graphic material, distressing themes, and talks of suicide. If you or someone you know is in distress, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. It's free, confidential, and you'll be connected to a skilled and trained counselor in your area. Crystal Howell had just moved in a few of her friends into the eight-bedroom Maggie Valley, North Carolina home that belonged to her dad, Michael Howell. His body, still in a bin in the storage shed. Crystal was trying to forget shooting her dad. She was trying to forget all the dark memories that led up to this point, but an unexpected house guest would jolt her back to reality. The return of Lansy. I was thinking, you know, a lot of the people that I hung out with were older people, so my friends didn't know a lot of my other friend group. Like, the people I hung out with in school didn't know the other people I hung out with on a regular basis. So I didn't even think, like, maybe they know each other. It is a small town, but I'm still not thinking that. And it just surprised me. And I, I guess I was kind of like, oh, shit. When he got in the car, I was just like, I'm, my name's Crystal, basically. Like, I just pretended that I didn't know him. And on the drive to the house, he, he was kind of acting um, tauntingly, I guess, like, kind of petty like he, he was making like little comments like when we went up the mountain I remember he had said somebody could really get lost out here nobody would ever know huh and it really got under my skin like and it made me paranoid like I was scared like what if you tell somebody what was going to happen and I remember he was like what, what did you say your name was again and I told him my name again and I just felt like he was taunting me I guess like like he had this power over me and I didn't like it. And uh, we got to the house, and I just kind of went my separate way. Like, I, I was frustrated. I was just like, how did I get myself in this situation? I can't really undo it. I can't tell my friend, like, hey, your boyfriend can't stay here because he helped me commit a crime. So I'm just kind of having to accept it. Crystal soon realized the reason Lansy helped her that day. They were living under the same roof, and now he wanted to collect what he felt Crystal owed him for helping cover up her dad's murder. I'm Melissa McCarty. And I'm Kelly McClear. We are Emmy-nominated investigative journalists, and we've been talking to Crystal Howell since her dad's murder in 2014. Eight years after Michael Howell's murder at 25 years old, Crystal is telling her story. We bring you the exclusive series, Killing Dad, A First Degree Mistake. 
When she first moved back into the house, Crystal found her dad's checkbook. She was able to cash a check for $5,000, money she used to pay the bills and buy food. I went back to the bank again, and I cashed another $5,000 check, and that money went to him. And he put my name, like, Lancy called the bank and put my name on my dad's bank account so that whenever I went in there, they wouldn't really ask questions. I could get my own credit card. Um, and all they had for it was a social security number the last four digits, and they put my name on the bank account. So he, he was hustling you, bribing you, you gave him 5000 and he continued to, to live there as well. Yeah, and after I gave him that amount of cash, like, Every time I would go out, there's an ATM, like, you can only get $300 out, I think, a day. And so every time I would go out, I would get in that money and bring it to him. And it went on like that for a while. Summer and Taylor didn't know that Crystal and Lansy knew each other prior. He was the one buying all of us alcohol. None of us were 21. And he was also one of the ones driving and calling and pretending to be Crystal's dad to get cable and money out of the bank and everything else. Well, what happened was whenever I went into the bank, they called the cell phone and he had answered it. And then uh, whenever he had called the bank, it was like a uh, 1-800 number, like an automated service. Gotcha. And he had to speak with a representative about putting my name on the account and pull money out. So he had a whole plan. Both Summer and Taylor saw Lansy impersonating Michael Howell and aiding Crystal to get money out of his account. I mean, I don't really know who was the mastermind behind it, but she would write checks from her dad's checkbook uh, and sign it in his name. And then she had Michael's phone, or I guess he had Michael's phone. um, And the bank would call to verify that it was written by him and signed by him. Lansley was kind of running the show a lot. Like, anything that he asked me for, I was giving to him. Like, I remember he had asked for a flat screen TV and gaming system and just all this modern stuff. And I remember he said something about stripper pole, and I was just like, at this point, I'm just like, whatever. Like, I'm not really caring what happens. I'm in my own world. So I'm just kind of allowing things to happen 
And so I paid for it. He put it up. And from there, it kind of, like, there's a bunch of teenagers living in the house. Like, it kind of, I wouldn't say it became a party house. There was one party. It was the party that grabbed headlines and made Crystal out to be a callous killer, celebrating after her dad's murder. Crystal was numb, lost, and mindlessly following the request of all the friends she moved in, hoping her facade didn't break open. So, I mean, with teenagers living in a pretty much mansion, I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, there weren't, like, like drugs and drinking. But it wasn't, we weren't, like, shooting up or snorting lines off the table or anything. We were smoking weed and had, like, a beer or two here and maybe, like, a shot or two there. And then there was one party that Crystal had said was, like, a housewarming party, and she invited maybe... 10, I don't even know who it was, 10 people. Less than 15 people um, was who she invited. And another bad thing about small towns is when you tell one person one thing, everyone finds out. Um, So that one party ended up being like 50 or 60 people and um, a lot of people that had previously gotten in trouble with the law and had been in, like, drugs and things like that. It was supposed to be, like, maybe a group of 10 to 15 people. It ended up being 50 to 60, maybe even 100 people at this at her house. Like, And man, there was some really messed up stuff that happened that night. So that night, like, got really weird. Like, at first, it was... The, the night of the party, it was okay. We had gone in the Land Rover uh, and picked up, like, a couple of people. And um, we had all gotten back to the house. And Crystal, she did have a fake ID, and she got alcohol with her fake ID. And um, so we were all, like, drinking and stuff like that. And then, like, more people started coming, and then more people started coming. And then people started, like, drinking way too much. And then, like... We found out that there was meth and like I was really fucking pissed at that. And then like I didn't know Crystal was like when I got there, I was like, there is something wrong with her. There is something wrong with her. And Summer was like, yeah, she did meth. And I was like, oh, fuck. She had brought home what we thought was cocaine and it turned out to be meth. Um, She had done a bunch of that. Didn't know what it was until afterwards. And then somebody else slipped her something else. I think it was Molly. I think somebody either gave her Molly or maybe she took it not knowing or whatever the case may be. It got really crazy, out of control. Uh, I did not drink at all because I'm not a drinking person. I would just rather stick to the marijuana. Summer became the house watchdog that night trying to tame the chaos. There are people there was somebody overdosing, and I literally had my hand up to my elbow down their throat trying to get them to gag. I saved them. They're good. The sobering moment of the night came when Summer found Crystal, who had fallen prey to two guys hunting her flesh. She was raped that night. I don't know if she even knew that. She was raped by two men that night um, that forced her into the bedroom and where I found her, and I walked in, and he had his dick in her mouth. And she came up to me and was like, I don't want to do this. And she was obviously slurred. She was like, 
Uh, I asked what was going on. She's like, he put his dick in my mouth, both of them. That's all I got from that conversation. And I had to make them leave. They were all drunk as shit and made me feel terrible for making them leave. But I was like, no, you get the fuck out. You leave right now. Good luck I don't beat the shit out of you. <laughs> but that night, that did happen. So I'm sure that probably affected her as well as with everything else going on. And it seems like at that party, um, whenever she did all those drugs, she never came down from that. Crystal doesn't remember the assault. She says she blacked out. But the after effects were now visible to everyone close to her. There is a point where she had gotten so upset that like I took her outside and just held a pillow for her to punch because she like was so upset, like she was getting so angry and she was like, I don't want to hurt anyone, but I'm getting so mad. And so we went outside and I held a pillow and let her punch it. Um, and then like, that's when things got like really weird. I guess it stopped being like any kind of fun. It just started being weird. Despite the one-time rager, the mountain house in Maggie Valley was not a party house as everyone still went about their business and attended school each week. But another incident sucked the media in and they latched on. It was the purchase of a stripper pole. There was no internet service up there. There was no TV. There was no Wi-Fi. There was not really anything besides each other. We just kind of hung out and we talked and uh, we danced. Dancing was one of the big things that we, we did together. That's why there was a stripper pole in the house. It wasn't because we were whores. It was because we used it as a form of exercise. The girls tried to make a home out of extraordinary circumstances. But aside from going to school, and maybe, maybe like once a week, we would go out to Asheville and do, just go to the mall or something. We would never do anything else besides stay at home. It was kind of like a really tight family, family type environment of just kids, obviously, but she definitely struggled with it. Only two people in the house knew the haunting reminder just feet away. Crystal slowly started to mentally deteriorate. Taylor says she reverted to a childlike state. A mix of uh, grieving and a mix of desperately trying to distract herself. Um, so, like, there were times, like, she she wouldn't sleep by herself. Uh, she had a the big bedroom downstairs, but she didn't want to sleep down there because it was dark and there was no one else down there. She didn't want to take showers alone. She didn't want to um, go to the bathroom alone, even if it was something personal. She she had us clip her toenails and like treat her like a child, really. We would cook her food. She would sleep in the bed with us. We would take turns on who, who was sleeping with Crystal tonight, stuff like that. There was even one point where she would sleep with my mom when my mom was up there. And that was just really weird for us because she was always very like independent and like kind of like took care of shit herself. And then all of a sudden, she it was like she wasn't capable of doing any anything for herself anymore. And we, like, of course, we're just like, this is, you know, how can we expect her to to want to do anything when she's grieving like this? You know, like, we, we need to do whatever we can to help her. Um, so we just kind of went along with it. I didn't met, I think, twice. I tried the drugs, but I, I'm sober at this point. I'm not drinking. I'm not on meth. And I start having these hallucinations that just feel real, like being possessed, maybe. We had wooden walls of the house, so 
you know, there's like that weird like swirly pattern on wooden walls. And I remember just seeing faces of people and feeling like they were people in hell and that they were coming to get me for what I had done. Um, I remember just, I was walking past the fireplace one day and I saw this shadow behind me and I turned around like expecting to see somebody and there was no one there. I was too afraid to get up out of the chair that me and my daddy used to sit in. I sat there for probably two weeks straight. I did not move. It was this recliner that we had sitting in the corner and I think that might have been the chair that her and her dad sat in together to watch movies all the time because it was right next to the entertainment center. Um, but she sat in that chair for literally the entirety of the two weeks. We didn't go to school or nothing because she would not move. I couldn't get her to eat. I couldn't get her to go to the bathroom. Nothing. Is that a psychotic break or what? how would you describe that? It was, absolutely, because she would just sit and stare at the ceiling and say, do you see that? Do you see that? It's a ghost. Do you see that? They're coming for me. Sober. Yes. Supposed to be completely sober after this. She hadn't done anything else. There was no weed. There was no alcohol. There was no pills. There was no meth. There was nothing else in the house. I felt like my dad was there, and I felt like I was being watched. I felt like something bad was going to happen to me, and I just felt disconnected from reality. And it felt so real. Crystal could feel something was about to happen. She knew this life wouldn't sustain itself. One day, she dressed in all white and headed up to the mountains where she and her dad would always camp. I, I was, I guess, looking for closure. Clearly, there was not a funeral. Like, nobody knew my dad was dead. It might sound stupid, but I guess I wanted to talk to him. I knew he wouldn't hear me, but I, I was hoping maybe he would, like... Maybe the higher I got on the mountain, maybe the higher I'd be to heaven and maybe he would hear me or something. Um, but I, I remember just kind of, I guess, apologizing out loud. I remember asking if he was okay, like, what, what's it like on the other side? Like, because, you know, you think, like, whenever somebody dies, like, maybe they're, maybe they're hurting to stop, but you don't know. So I guess I wanted to know that, like, are things better for you now? Like, or did I make them worse? Where are you? Um, what do I do? Like, what do I do now that you're gone? I don't know. Really, where to go? I don't know. How to pay bills? I don't know how to, how to do taxes. I don't know how to survive. I don't know anything like that. I don't know how to be an adult. I don't know really even how to live without you. So how, how do I learn that? Like... He's been the one to be around my whole life, so how, how do how do you just move on from something like that? How do you how do you pretend it never happened? Crystal could no longer live in her dad's house as it was a constant reminder of what she had done. So, like all the other times she ran away, she once again would flee explanation for that was that her mom had contacted her and so in our mind her mom of course is the one who told her that Michael committed suicide so she knows about all of this so when Crystal tells us that her mom says that Crystal needs to come down to Georgia and stay with her until she turns 18 until she can be an illegal adult um, and then she'll come back and that's what she told us she was going to help Summer pay for like bills and everything like that and um 
yeah, so we were just like, okay, well, I mean, I guess we get that because you're technically not a legal adult. Before leaving, she gave away a few items to Summer's dad, including the murder weapon. I didn't even want to look at it anymore, and I was kind of having, like, suicidal thoughts a lot, and I was afraid that maybe something would happen. I might shoot myself, and I just didn't want it around anymore, so I got rid of it. She sold my dad a gun for $20. And left Summer with a few rules for the house. The only thing was, you know, to pay the bills and stuff, and I did say, I said, don't go in the shed. And they never really asked why. Um, but I told them, you know, there's just, like, stuff in there that's valuable. Okay, so I'm just going to let you guys know I am a nosy-as-fuck person. I want to know everything. I need to know everything. I want to know why. I want to know how. I want to know straight down to the very the very way you wipe your butt, basically. <laughs> like, I want to know. <laughs> So being the person that I am, whenever the opportunity arose, I definitely took it because she had made it a point to say, hey, don't go in that shed. Don't do this. Don't do that. I was like, okay, I won't while you're here. <laughs> I was there when she like actually left and packed up the, the U-Haul and left for Georgia. Any parting words? Just I love you. I mean, just the usual like I love you. I'll call you. I'll keep you updated. How did you feel when you were driving away? Um, I felt like maybe, maybe I could just start a new chapter of my life. Maybe I could figure out what to do. She was in too deep at this point. In a mental fog, Crystal drives to Augusta, Georgia, and to the house of then 21-year-old Austin Arthur. The two had met online weeks prior. Besides, um, just like, thinking she was cute and pretty and stuff. It was just, I thought she was fun to talk to, uh, you know, outside of uh, the ser- the very serious, you know, situation with uh, what she, the story she was telling me regarding her dad. Um, it was just fun to talk to her and, you know, uh, just to get to know each other and, you know, we'd make each other laugh here and there. And, you know, it seemed like we'd get along great in person. So that's what I was looking forward to. Crystal knew she had a ticking clock on her freedom, but she was trying to live as though that was not the case. I was hanging out with a guy I met. Um, that day, he said he had to go to a baby shower for somebody in his family and asked me if I wanted to go with him. And that was kind of weird for me because, you know, people that I dated, aside from Tyler, like, they didn't bring me around their family or anything. Like, it was just, we would go hang out and it would be whatever. So I guess it kind of made me feel special maybe i was living with my parents at the time and my one of my aunts and my grandmother had come to visit at that same time and uh, it wasn't really like a party or anything you know she uh we just she showed up there and then uh we just left together after a while and uh went to stay at a hotel after that while pulling into a gas station parking lot crystal had a random encounter with her mom christina she had yet to tell her mom she was in town. And I pulled up to the car and was just like, hey, what, what are you doing here? And I was just like, oh, you know, I'm trying to find a place. Hey, not very many questions were asked, not much was said. And I was just like, okay, and I drove off. Wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Did she get, wait a minute. Did she get out of the car and hug you? I mean, was it like, oh my God, my daughter's here. What? No, no, that didn't happen. 
I mean, that had to have sucked, Crystal. I mean, you hadn't seen your mother for months, right? And you see her in the parking lot. The parking lot I was parked in was next to, like, I guess near where she worked or on her way to work or something. And, you know, I was driving my dad's car, my dad's car with a orange Land Rover. So I barely noticed what... Crystal knew deep down, moving to Georgia at 17, lying to her mom, and driving her dad's car would jeopardize her freedom. I'm not going to say I wanted to get caught because who, who wants that, but I just felt like I was tired of running, I guess, and lying to everyone. So I felt like, you know, this is going to raise some questions that I knew that coming to Georgia. Like, my mom's not somebody that's just going to let something go. Like, she's going to look into it and find out what's going on. Meanwhile, back in North Carolina at the mountaintop house filled with teens, a day after Crystal left, Summer had a feeling she couldn't shake. She needed to see what was inside the shed. So um, there was no key. Popped it off, broke the lock. I smell something that is, I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing that can describe it. It wasn't as strong, I don't know why, but maybe it was just because of how cold it was, I guess, I don't know. But we go inside, or I go inside at first, and everybody's kind of like on the right, moving things around to put the pinball machine. I go over, I touch what I think is a mannequin. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I realize it's skin, and then I think back to the party. I was like, well, did somebody like actually die? And then it's gotten here somehow, got trapped in here? I was, I was concerned somebody got too drunk and died at this party that we had. And then I looked down, and realized he was wearing the same jacket that her, Crystal's father was wearing in the picture that's literally sitting above the mantle in the, in the house. And it clicked for me. So I started screaming and crying. Obviously, we went inside and told everybody else what was going on. And everybody, that, the rest of the people that were inside was my mother and Elijah. Those were the only other two people that were at home at the time. Everybody else was gone. It's a chilling discovery seared into her mind. And my immediate thing was leave. I got everything that I owned. I got my dog and my cat, and I put it in my dad's car, every piece of clothing that I could fit in there, and I went home. <laughs> I went home, and then I came to the police department in Waynesville on Main Street and reported it, and they did not believe me. I sat in the waiting room for two hours waiting on, a, on a disc, like an officer to come and actually talk to me about it before they would even go up there. Whenever I saw him, I knew. I, co I connected the pieces right there. I was like, nope, she's killed him. While Summer and her parents sat at the sheriff's station, a call goes out to Crystal. The other couple that was living up there, the, the girl, um, had called Crystal and told her that there was police all in her house and she called me and asked me if I knew what was going on and I said no I have no idea what you're talking about I'm in Asheville um and she was like okay and then like I didn't hear from her after that and that was the night like I, I stayed with Joey and uh the investigators called my mom or no they came and knocked on my mom's door I still didn't know what was going on like no one had told me like they asked me like does Crystal know how to, like, use a gun? What was her relationship like with her dad? Um, and I was like, 
oh God, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then the next, I think the next morning, <laughs> I remember getting home and my mom was like, I understand you've been through a lot. We'll talk about this in the morning. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I got up and Summer called me and she was like, don't talk to Crystal, don't text Crystal. And I was like, what? She was like, Crystal killed her dad. And I was like, what? Like it was, it was so shocking to me that I chuckled, which like sounds really messed up because it, like, but it was so just like a mind fuck that I was like, no, no, no way. This is the shit we watch on TV. What are you, no. And then she was like, no, this is like real. And I was like, oh fuck. And that's like when like the realization came and it was like a snap of a finger and everything fucking changed. Now, in the last free hours of her young life in Augusta with Austin, the life-altering call comes in from Lansing. I'm talking to him, and he's just basically like, there's all these cops in front of your house, like, do you know about this? And I hear a car door open and shut, and he's basically just like, you know what it is, like, don't tell them that I had anything to do with this. And he told me that he had a daughter, and that he needed to be in her life. I kind of started freaking out a little bit. And this guy is clearly like, what's wrong? Um, so I lied to him and I said, well, there's police in my house. And I told him that they had been growing weed in the house and that it was something to do with that. And I was like, it's probably nothing, it's probably fine, but they might come arrest me, I don't know. I didn't want him to be like caught off guard, I guess. Um, so that night we went inside the motel room and I just remember taking a shower and I knew like this is my last night. Um, I know they're going to come get me, but I'm not going to call them. I'm just going to wait. They're going to know where I'm at. They can track my phone. They can see the car outside. Saturday night uh, when she got the call about um, from her friends regarding the police were at the house in North Carolina. And uh, she definitely changed. Uh, stress levels were definitely higher at that point. And when you were thinking, it's only a matter of time they're coming, what was that like living in that? It was kind of a relief, honestly. Um, I, I was, this might sound weird, but I, I was ready. I was just ready for it to be over, I guess. In North Carolina, Michael Howell's body had been discovered by Crystal's friend Summer and Summer's father. Police surrounded the house and were combing through every inch of it. Sheriffs then put out a bolo alert, a be on the lookout, giving the description of Crystal and Michael Howell's orange Land Rover. I was working homicide uh, for the lead homicide detective for the Richmond County Sheriff's Office in Augusta um, in 2014, and I believe... We got a call from the SBI. Griff Garrison was one of two units put on alert. There was a deceased male, and then there was a person of interest. They feel pretty confident that she's the one who did it, but they don't know for sure yet, you know, at this point. Um, but that she's definitely a person of interest, you know, proceed with caution. An unsuspecting Austin was making plans for the next morning not knowing how much his life was about to change. I had already asked her if it was okay if I take uh, her father's car, if I drive her father's car to work in the morning. Um, 
and it was only like a I think four or five hour shift uh, and I would be back around like 11 a.m. or 10 or 11 a.m. and uh, she she agreed to do that and you know and I, I took the car that morning and on the way back stopped at the store I grab I grab a few things and then I continue back to the uh, hotel we're staying at and I as I pull into the parking lot at the hotel I noticed there's a police officer behind me uh, pulling up behind me patrol officer Dennis West pulled up it was shortly after we received the bell for their land land rover i was seeing the vehicle driving through the gas station parking lot and i just followed the vehicle to the motel parking lot which was probably about a quarter mile away and uh it was driven by a male not a female as i went to unbuckle my seatbelt, i hear him scream at me to put my hands in the air and i'm just like whoa okay and i go ahead and do that uh he and he's yelling at me to unbuckle, get out of the car, and then lay on the ground. And you know, I oblige. I do all that. They get me into the car, and you know, I ask him what what is this about? And he said it's a, mur- a murder investigation. And at that point, I was just like, I I didn't believe it. But uh, like, first off, I totally, I just didn't believe what they were saying at that point because I was. I was a part of this story at this point where, you know, I believed the story I was given. From what I remember, he really didn't say much. He's like, what's going on? Um, uh, we asked him one question where, you know, what room they were staying in. Uh, but his whole, I mean, he just was just, he, he cooperated. I mean, he, he had no clue. What, he had no idea what was going on. Austin told them what room Crystal was in. They first went to the motel's front desk. My beat partner, he was uh, calling the show. He went to uh, the front desk, got a master key. Uh, from there, we, uh, we waited for another deputy to show up to secure uh, 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 the other guy in the parking lot. And me and Kyle went up to the ring. And uh, with the master key, we entered and The officers quietly opened the door to Crystal's motel room early on a Sunday morning. Austin was still being held outside in the parking lot. So I was asleep when they came into my room, and I woke up with a gun in my face. And I I don't know, I was just a little caught off guard. Like, I knew it was something that happened, but I've never been arrested like that. Like, I didn't... I didn't know. So I just woke up like, with in my face, startled, and I'm not wearing any clothes, so I have my hands up, and I'm just basically like, I'm underage, and I'm not wearing any clothes, but do you want to handcuff me like this? Like, I don't, like, can I get dressed? And the officers told me that they were going to go way outside the door, and if I ran, I think they said they would tase me, is what they said. They had a taser, and I said, okay, well, I'm not going to run. The room was dark. Um, I- I want the, the, uh, the blackout shades were pulled. There was, like, so there was no lights, and we hit her with the flashlight. She was unclothed, I was underneath some sheets or blankets. I got dressed, and I wasn't wearing any shoes, so I just put on a dress that I've been wearing before. And I knocked on the door, and they handcuffed me. She, she cooperated the whole time, you know, and she had, I mean, there was, she never, besides saying that, she never cause a fuss or anything uh, it was almost too cordial 
I remember her making while we were in the room was, I guess they found them. That was the only thing I remember. Her saying to us and while we were in the room. When I first came in contact with Crystal, she just not, you know, I don't know, it, it just, everything about the whole appearance kind of, it, it didn't add up. And I just let her know, hey, you know, I'm Investigator Garrison with the Sheriff's Office. We've got some stuff we want to talk to you about. We're going to take you down to the station. Throughout all the cases that I've ever worked, there's only been a couple times where, you know, the, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. And I wasn't expecting that with this, you know, walking up. Okay, yes, she probably killed her father, you know, or alleged had to have done it. She just wasn't there. The moment Austin will never forget after spending an intimate night with a new love interest. Uh, I'm sitting in the car, handcuffed. Uh, eventually, I see her come out of the hotel with the uh, handcuffs on, and they get her and take her away. Well, she looked very uh, sad. Um, uh, I don't know if she could see me or anything. I just, I could just see her. I, we didn't make eye contact. I just could, I could see her being taken away, and I just had to watch. Austin, still reeling from the memory, is left with an impression many have thought. She was definitely lost to have to do that. Um, and there's definitely, I think, maybe afterwards a sort of uh, coldness to try to move on and sort of get away with it. Whenever I would go to Georgia, I wouldn't talk to my dad as much. Like prior, you know, when I'd be visiting my mom, it's... The communication wouldn't be all the way halted, but it, it would kind of stagger itself a little bit. So me leaving North Carolina and going to Georgia, it felt like maybe I was just leaving him behind. And, like he was still alive, maybe. Like, it was just easier to pretend I hadn't done this thing. Like, hard to explain to where somebody who hasn't been there will understand, because it just sounds sick. To be like, oh, I just left everything behind and tried to move on. But I wanted it to not be real. Coming up on the next episode of Killing Dad... Crystal gets a shocking message while in custody. At one point when I was in county jail, I don't know if he was locked up or if he knew somebody else that was locked up, but somebody, uh, the girls in my squad would go to court with the guys. So they would always bring back notes and like messages from the guys. And I remember one time somebody brought me a message and said that if I were to tell on Lindsay that he would have me stabbed in prison. And we've uncovered a disturbing move made by Crystal's court-appointed defense attorney. When I was reviewing the material, that this is very confusing to me. Uh, I have not seen anything like that before. I don't even care now
so lonely.